the mountain. The people gathered together to Arid and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Please be seated. So good to have you here with us today. If you have a Bible, let me encourage you to open that to Exodus chapter 32. And that's really where we're going to plant ourselves and stay this morning. If you are visiting with us and you've gotten one of those visitor's packs, hopefully you've opened that up and noticed that in the inside there is an, an attendance card. If you'll pass those to the aisle at this time, we'll get some gentlemen to come through and, and take that up so that we can have a record of your attendance. Now let me join in with Jonathan and tell you how grateful we are to have you here and hope that you will stick around and we will get to know you and we'll have a big old fun time and then you can come back with us tonight. So we are going to look in uh, Exodus chapter 32 today and we have been looking through this month at some biblical firsts and we find another one of those biblical firsts here in Exodus chapter number 32. This is not the first time that idols are mentioned in the Bible. This is the first time that idols made by Israel are mentioned in the Bible. It's hard for God to expect the entirety of the world to live by a set of rules that is given strictly to one group of people, like the Old Testament and the uh, Mosaic Laws. But when the people to whom he gave that law start acting like the world, now we've got a whole different set of problems. And we find that set of problems in Exodus chapter number 32. Let me tell you something. First does not always mean very good. Especially in my mind as I think about the first guy who said, you see that horse right over there? I think what I want to do is jump on his back and ride him. He has all that hair there. It would make a natural uh, handle for us. We can stay right on him. How do you think that worked out? Or even those guys today who say, you know what I think I'd like to do? If I could get on the back of a bull and it has those natural handlebars, you should just be able to stay on, right? First is not always good. Look at Cain and Abel. They're the first sons of the first couple. They should have everything going their way. Except there's one event that ends Abel's life and in principle ends Cain's life that we think of every time we hear the phrase Cain and Abel. As a matter of fact, phrases like Cain and Abel or David and Goliath, those those phrases are used even in our secular world, and they know exactly what's being spoken of. First is not always the best. Think of that Noah ark as it is being and as it is being ready to be prepared by God. Everything is going like they should. Noah, I guess, was the first guy to look out a window and see it rain. He stayed in that ark seven days before the rain started. 
He's a lot better than the guys who were on the outside who were the first to feel it rain. Just being the first is not always the best, but there are always lessons, whether they be good or bad. There's always something for us to learn. We can see uh, in our society especially how people have removed anything and everything in order to put any kind of thing on the throne rather than God. We take God off and put, just name whatever you'd like there. Those things have become God's friends. Yeah, I want them. I want them to be impressed with me. I want them to, to see me. I want them to do whatever. And so I take God off of his position number one and put my friends there or even my family or my job or my hobbies. And so we look at that calf and we, we kind of look at it and say, how in the world could Israel have done that? It's because we look at it and say, how could Israel have done that? We never take those messages from uh, Exodus chapter 32 and then really apply those things to me. It's not a new problem. It's not a problem that happens in the 21st century. It's not an Arkansas problem. This has been a, a people problem from the beginning. Go back to Adam and Eve. What was the problem? Was the sin that they ate of the fruit? The answer to that is yes and no. Yes, the, the sin was, in its most technical sense, that they ate of the fruit. But the underlying message of the sin that was found there was, I'm going to supersede what God has commanded. I'm going to put myself in a position of authority and not God. And so it's been a problem since mankind has been around. Let's look at Exodus chapter 32. Read about the first six verses. Uh, Michael started us off very well. We're going to pick up in verse 2. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are, which are in the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. And all the people break off their golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received them at their hand. And he fashioned with a gravening tool and he made it into a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast unto the Lord. And they rose up early in the morning. They offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. As you and I look at this particular section of Scripture, we might look at it and say, well, that really doesn't have anything to do with me. Uh, let's explore a little further. Let's look and see what the situation is. When we begin this the exploration of Exodus chapter 32, we are focused in by the writer on Aaron. With the exception of verse 1, we are focused in on what Aaron did. But there's a great question in verse number 1, which was read for us just a moment ago. Where's Moses? We well, say, well, he's up on the mountain, and you're exactly right. Now, notice what these people had gone through. He has, Moses has, by the inspiration of God, and by the direction of God, led them from a, a place of captivity known as Egypt. 
a place of bondage where they were slaves, where they were servants. And he has led them out and out into their freedom. But now he's missing. And now the question comes up, where is he? Will he ever come back? Who's going to lead us now? What are we supposed to do now? What, what happens if Moses never comes back? And unfortunately for them in this chapter, Moses is going to come back. And it's not going to be a great day for them. But what if he never does? Are we just supposed to stay here? Is this, is this the promised land? Do we, do we go somewhere from here or, or, or are we stuck? Moses is the leader. Where is he? And because we can't find him, because the nation of Israel is a little bit in a panic, then you have the latter portion of this particular chapter. Break off your earrings. Hmm. Turn back a few pages in Exodus, to Exodus chapter number 20. So the situation is we can't find Moses, we need a leader, and here's what happens in this situation. Exodus chapter 20. Let me get back there with you. Now, if you write in your Bible, or if you don't, When we get to Exodus 20, there should be two or three things that pop into your mind. Number one, it should automatically pop into your mind that this is the chapter that would contain Moses getting those Ten Commandments up on Mount Sinai. There's another thing that ought to pop into your mind found in Exodus chapter 20 in between verses 2 and verse 3. If you put the Bible in a chronological order, between verse 2 and verse 3, the entire book of Leviticus should fit right there. It's not just the place where Moses gets these Ten Commandments and none of the other laws are explained. Every law is explained by God in detail uh, at this place. My granddad used to say he's not going to chew his cabbage twice. Which is kind of a gross thing to uh, think about. But he's not going to, it's, it's a divine economy. Here he is, this is the most economic way to do this, the most expedient way to do this, so I'm going to give you all the law right here. So right in between verses 2 and 3 should fit the entire book of Leviticus. Well, while Moses is up on the mount, he went up to God, verse 3, and God said, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel. You tell them everything that's going on right here. That's in verse, uh, chapter 19, and we move to verse, uh, chapter 20. And he says, have I been telling you that Exodus 20, verses 2 and 3? How about Exodus 19, verses 2 and 3? I'm sorry about that. Exodus 19, and in verse 20, God speaks and he says, I am the Lord your God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images. Now, I have that underlined. You know what I have written beside the word graven images in my Bible as it's underlined? I have the number 32. Would you like to know why that is? We'll find out in just a moment. I will not make any graven images or any likeness of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or that, that was in the water 
underneath the earth. Thou shalt not bow thyself to them, nor serve them. For I am the Lord thy God, and I am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me and show mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. The very first law, the very first law that's given is, I must be number one. I must have the preeminence. I must be at the top of the priority list, and there is no exception. I must be there. All right. He goes further to say, don't make any animals, air, land, sea animals. Don't bow yourself down to worship them. Don't, don't look at them as if they are your uh, little g-gods. You focus all of your time, all of your attention, and all of your efforts onto me. Can I ask you a question? Why does God want that so much? Why does he have to tell them, don't make any animals, don't make any animals out of the land, don't, don't grave in any animals out of the sea, don't, don't make any animals from the air? Why does he have to tell them that? It's not going to be long. It's not going to be very long that chapter 32 occurs. God is very specific with them. God is very specific with us. The command was, don't make any graven images. Well, let's go back to chapter 32. Look at verse number 21 as the retelling of the account happens from verses 1 through 6. Verse 21 begins, And Moses said to Aaron, why, what did these people unto thee that thou brought so uh, great of a sin upon them? Did you notice that, that Moses is putting the blame on Aaron? As you and I look at Old Testament Hebrew history, we, we readily understand that it is the high priests who are of the house of Aaron that is, they're from that very family. Would you like to tell me who the first high priest was? <laughs> this is not a trick question. He also was from the house of Aaron. He actually walked around in Aaron's shoes. He was Aaron himself. And because he has the duty to lead them spiritually, Moses comes to him and says, What in the world have you done to them? You were supposed to lead them away from that and not drag them to it. But here you are. And here's a calf. And here they are. Look at verse number 32, or 22 rather. And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord wax hot. Thou knowest the people, and they are set to mischief. Mm. Aaron's problem can be seen time and time and time again. You can look forward in time and to see the king Saul do this exact same thing. 
We've done all the commandments that the Lord God, and then you have Samuel say, why are there so many cows and sheep that I hear? Wasn't the command to kill everything, including the king? No, we've taken the best of the flock and the king uh, as sacrifice. That ain't going to work. You didn't do it. He said, you know, the people, they, they, they just do, you know, they just run after mischief. They're just trying to find something to do that's wrong. That sounds a whole lot like Adam. I wouldn't have eaten of that fruit if you hadn't given me that woman. Ooh. Adam? If, if I had one question for Adam, and if I get to ask him one question in eternity, this is going to be it. How'd that work out for you? I don't know how long you lived, but you lived to be 930. How'd that statement work out for you for the next 900 years? Passing the buck. It's not my fault, it's someone else's. Mm. There's a lot of blame to pass around here in Exodus 32, and it's not just for Aaron. For they said to me, this is 23, Make us gods which shall go before us, for as this Moses, the man which has brought, up out, brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. And I said to them, Whoever hath any gold, let him break it off. So they gave it to me. I cast it in fire, and there came out this calf. Mm. We just put it in there, hopped right out. You know, there are really only two misleading statements in the things that, that, that Aaron said. 90% of what he said was factual to what happened, except for maybe the, the people running to mischief, and I tried to stop them, and maybe the uh, calf just jumped right out. Just jumped right out, huh? In Exodus chapter number 12, is the first mention of the Passover. The uh, Passover you and I are accustomed to within the New Testament. We see that that is an annual event, that it is an anniversary of what happened in Exodus chapter 12. That they remember those things that happened there in Egypt. Why do you mention the Passover, Billy? Well... You know, before that, they were in Egyptian captivity. Did you know that? And that they were, they were there amongst Egyptians. And the Egyptians were polytheistic. How many of you passed sixth grade history? Y'all know what polytheistic means? Multiple gods. There's monotheism, which the Bible would teach. There's polytheism. There with the Egyptians, you have all manner of gods. Well, God showed himself to be superior to at least 10 of them, if not a few more, within the first 12 chapters of the book of, the, uh, of Exodus. Here you have them leaving that, that uh, captivity in Exodus 12. And I'm telling you this, they brought that calf from Exodus chapter 12 all the way to Exodus chapter 32. And you say, well, it never was there until they made it there in Exodus 32. It was there. It had already been implanted in them from the time they spent in Egypt. It wasn't there physically with them, no, but it was right there in their heart. They brought it all the way out with them. Before that, you didn't read about them having golden calves. What changed? 
folks around them. Sin is, the sin here is, is grave. It's, it's a sin of the people wanting something and Aaron giving it to them. You have the sin of him gravening that image, the first six verses there, which would be in violation of Exodus chapter 20. Do not engrave any images. What does that mean? Look, I, I'm, not, I'm not the smartest man, probably not the smartest man in this room. But even with a Munford High School education, I know what do not make idols out of gravening tools means. You ready for this one? It means do not make idols out of gravening tools. And yet we find them there in Exodus 32 doing that exact thing. We find them there going, God's law, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Those were for an older group of people. Uh, our, our younger minds, we need a... Mm, mm. You know what we need? To serve and obey God. That's what we need. You know what they needed? The exact same thing. They wouldn't find themselves in this sinful condition had they simply followed and obeyed God. But here we are in Exodus chapter 32. Find ourselves in that sinful condition. Here's the solution. Look at verse number 19. And it came to pass as soon as he came down, this is Moses, under the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing. Now, I don't know if you're writing your Bible either, but I have this one underlined. And Moses' anger waxed hot, and he threw down the tables out of his hand and break them on the bottom side of the mountain. And he took the calf, which they had already made, burned it up with fire, ground it into powder, and put it into the water and made the children of Israel drink it. Parents, let me ask you a question. When dealing with your children, your, your lovely children that you can recall uh, giving birth to and, and taking care of their needs when they were little bitty and, and taking care of those scuffed knees and, and all of those things and, and having them make you some uh, construction paper cards as they're little bitty and you hang those on the refrigerator. Uh, after dealing with those wonderful children that you have raised in their teenage years, have you ever waxed hot in your anger toward them? Moses has... Moses has the right to be upset with them. Moses has that right. Here's how I know. One, God doesn't condemn him for it. And he's right toward the, the correct thing. So he has a, a righteous indignation toward what's going on. But it's not just toward the people. Once again, as we read through that chapter, it is towards his brother also who should have been teaching them the right way and yet did not. What do you think Moses expected from them? What do you think he expected from them? I can tell you what he didn't expect. He didn't expect to come down that mountain and see a calf there and people dancing around it and an altar built to it. He went, he went so far, so fast 
it, it, it must have been a, a shock to him to see those people who had been taken by the very hand of God and let out of captivity to now having an idol and be basically making where they are Egypt number two. Turn over to the book of Psalms. Psalm chapter 119, the longest in the Bible. Look at verse number 11, beginning. David would write, Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. With my lips have I declared all the judgments of thy mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on thy precepts. I will have respect unto thy ways. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. He is 180 degrees away from where the nation of Israel was in Exodus 32. With enough time and enough geography moved away, they had forgotten what he said. With some situation changing, they had decided his words were no longer valid. That he no longer was God and that no matter what happens to Moses, God said, I'm going to put you in the promised land. And that wasn't a, a realization for them if Moses was dead. How are we supposed to get there? What are we supposed to do? It's interesting to me that here in, in Exodus 32, while they're thinking it's never going to be possible without Moses leading us into the promised land, it's never Moses who led them into the promised land. He died before they got there. It was Joshua. I'm afraid these men and women that we're reading about in Exodus chapter 32 are simply guilty of timeline manipulation. They want God to do things that He has promised on their timeline. How many of us have ever wanted that? Just me? Okay. I'll meet the rest of y'all down here in just a minute. How many of us were wrong for that? Just me? Okay. God's going to do things the way He chooses to do things in His time. Have you not studied last week, Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4, that in the fullness of time God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, not before it was time, not after it was time, but in the exact right moment. Let's take a moment to ask ourselves this. If Israel was guilty of having a golden calf, and they were, Dead to rights, guilty. And as I look at that in principle, I have to ask myself this one question. What exactly is it that's my golden calf? What exactly is it that I'm willing to trade the, the God of heaven and earth for what exactly is it that 
I want more than anything else. Now, everybody in this room probably has something come to their mind. It's an individual. It means something to you, maybe not to anybody else, but it does mean something to you. Hmm. You have it? You willing to die for it? You willing to die for it? Not physically, maybe. Are you willing to die for it spiritually? Are you willing to die for it eternally? Or, just maybe, it's in the wrong place. And whatever that is that's in your mind that you're thinking about, that now you're wondering if I have to live and die by it eternally, now, while you're judging that particular question and say, nah, that probably doesn't need to be my God. <clears throat> I began writing this slide. And up until I sent it to the sound room, it said, what needs to be your God? And right before I sent it, I said, that's... That's not the right way to ask that question. Because if you ask the question, what then needs to be your God, the answer is nothing. There's not a what that can fill that hole. It's not a what, it's a who. It's not a calf, it's, it's an, an eternal being. It's not something you can make, it's one who makes those things without hands. It's not something that you can lay your hands on. It's the one who created everything that we see and we don't see. Who needs to be your God? Not any of those you find in Egypt. Not any of those you find on the outskirts here in Exodus chapter 32. The one who needs to be your God, the one who needs to make those decisions in your life, is the same one who took them out of Egypt. It's the same one who sent that death angel through there. It's the same one who created both heaven and earth. It's the same one who sent his son to redeem us back to him. That's who needs to be your God. And I don't know what you need to remove off of the throne. But you need to move it. I don't know what has taken the position, but it's got to go. And I don't know who it is, self-included. Nine times out of ten, what we like to do is put ourselves there. And say, I, have no, I don't have anything else in my life that's on that throne. Parentheses, with the exception of me. Get up. It's not your seat. Get out of God's throne and let Him sit and have glory and honor and power like He's supposed to. Now, who is supposed to be your God? 
That one who wrote, so that faith cometh by hearing. Hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. That one who wrote that unless you believe that I am, you'll die in your sins in John 8, verse number 32. Or 24, rather. That one who wrote in Luke chapter 13 and verse number 3, I tell you, nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. That one who wrote, if you'll confess my son in Matthew chapter 10, 32 and 33, I'll confess you before my father, but if you don't confess me, you're going to have a tough time. Who needs to be your God? The one who established the church through the blood of his son and the one whose final decree for all of those who are believing and repenting and confessing is that they be baptized in water for the remission of their sins and being added to the church for which Jesus Christ died. That's who needs to be your God because there's not another one that'll work. Exodus 32. Have you put on Christ in baptism? Church, if you have, have you yet ground up all of your golden idols or are you still waiting around? Grind them up and get rid of them. Either be his faithful child or not. Make that decision now while we stand and sing.